0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 3rd, 2017. My name is Leah M., and I'm your moderator this morning. The share IDs for Friday, December 1st, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10744. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10745. This morning, a vision for you presents finding a higher power, some practical thoughts for agnostics. Powerless. In step one, we find complete despair, frustration, and bewilderment. The mental obsession condemns us to pick up that first bite when we don't want to, and the phenomena of craving condemns us to continue eating once we start. We have no choice. Our efforts... Energy and desire have not delivered the hoped-for results. We are restless, irritable, and discontent. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Lack of power is our dilemma. We have to find a power other than ourselves, which will restore us to sanity. The big book's perspective is that the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. Our concepts of a higher power and God as you understand him afford everyone an unlimited choice of spiritual belief and growth. Joining us today to talk about finding a higher power is John Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Los Angeles. John is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, dedicated to actively carrying the message of recovery, both near and far, and it's a pleasure to welcome John to the line today. Good morning, John. Star one to unmute. Am I being heard? Yes. yes, yes yes you are Well, thank you yes, okay. yes, thanks, everybody, okay. Let's wait a moment while John gets back on the line, John star one time You. Well, thank you for everyone for your patience. I'm sure he's calling back onto the line and we'll be here momentarily.
1: Leah, can you hear me?
0: I hear you very well.
1: This is so weird. I kept, I kept hitting star one, and it kept saying, you are now unmuted, and nobody could hear me. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> you can add this to your comedy bit in the future. Oh, well, I I'm am done. so
1: so sorry The the prisoners of technology we have become.
0: Well, it's great so. to hear you, and you're coming through loud and clear.
1: Okay, so we'll do this from the top.
0: There we go. Excellent. <laughs> okay,
1: pretend I just got on the line. Uh, good morning, this is John Kiernan, recovered compulsive overeater in Los Angeles. I want to thank Leah for asking me uh, to speak and uh, for the patience of our technologically uh, uh, deficient uh, speaker this morning. <laughs> um, I Okay, so... I first want to say I'm not going to be quoting the big book as much as I have on other uh, of these talks, but hopefully everybody understands where i come down on that. Um, Anyway, um, I've called this Finding a Higher Power, Some Practical Thoughts for Agnostics, because I was thinking about some of the things I've I've heard and seen over the years. And, And, well, let me just start by saying, you know, one of the reasons I keep coming to meetings after 36 years is that I need to keep it green, as they say, you know, and I do that by intercoming, inter- interacting with newcomers and, um, and, and also those struggling in program. And I also hear from sponsors who are having trouble with sponsees, you know, who are struggling. And one of the things I hear the most from that group of struggling people is the problems they have with the G word, you know, God. And I can remember that that was for me, coming into my first 12 step program was difficult as an avowed atheist at the time. And today, you know, when I lead retreats and workshops, I always try to keep my references on that subject uh, to the least common denominator, at least in the beginning, because I'm in, in the early parts of the steps. I, I do that to be inclusive. Um, Sometimes when I listen to my morning meeting and I hear everybody praising their relationship with God and talking about how that connection is helping them with their disease and their lives, and I I think that's wonderful, but I also find myself sort of stepping out wondering how those who have yet to come to believe in higher power are affected by hearing all this. Does it make them envious? Does it push them away? Does it confuse them? You know, and I thought it might be nice to look at this subject from the viewpoint of those who have yet to make conscious contact with their higher power, especially for those whom that lack of connection is keeping him in the food. You know, I certainly don't have all the answers, you know, especially about how to develop a connection with a higher, higher power, especially a personal higher power, because for each person, you know, this journey has a different path to be navigated. I thought, however, perhaps talking a little bit about my journey and the observations of other people's journeys along the way might shed some light on the process of coming to believe, as they say. Uh Obviously, the first words on this subject come from the big book itself. You know, in fact, there's a whole chapter on the subject, We Agnostics. And, you know, I really love that title as it seems to me to go out of its way to feel inclusive. You know, instead of calling it To the Agnostics, which might have denoted a separateness that would have been felt alienating, We Agnostics imparts the idea that, hey, we were where you were when we came into. And I, I think if you look at the book and the prevailing opinion at the time the book was written was that that those coming into AA would probably have been raised in some kind of faith and need to be drawn back into something, even if it wasn't the faith into which they were born. Nowadays, however, you know there's an increasing amount of people who were raised with no faith at all by their parents, you know. And some were raised in households where religion and spirituality was openly disparaged as something for, you know, those less enlightened, for less intelligent people. And I think this means finding a higher power for those people becomes doubly difficult because it means fighting a lifetime of pre-programming. Let me me talk about my journey and where I am now. You know, for me, when it comes to a concept of a relationship with a higher power, I think there are actually two distinct relationships – You know, the first involved me developing a relationship with some kind of higher power, you know, to help me with my problems, as it says on page 45, to help me get out of the active disease, uh, and diseases in my case, alcoholism and compulsive eating. But the second part for me was finding a concept of a higher power of my understanding that would help me in my day-to-day life once the food was in its proper place. You know, a higher power that would hopefully help me be the happy, joyous, and free person mentioned in my two favorite pages of the big book, 132, 133. You know, when I was dragged into my first program, which is AA, by circumstances, (laughs) to say the least, uh, the one huge roadblock for me was that G word, God. You know, when I was first in my auditing phase, uh, I found myself putting away chairs after a meeting one Sunday morning and telling the person who was to become my first sponsor that, you know, I can't be part of some religious program. Well, you know, it's not a religious program, he told me. He said, it's a spiritual program. Well, And then I t- proceeded to argue with him, pointing out all the places in the steps where it said God or where it said Him with a capital H. And he stood there for a minute and looked at the steps and then looked at me and said, okay, well, leave it out. <laughs> well, you know, I stared at him like a like a robot that's been put into some kind of loop. What do you mean leave it out? And he said, look, right now your disease is looking for any reason to head out the door. You know, what could be better then the excuse that this program is going to try and push some religion on you, you know, so just leave it out. You know, you can live sober, working the 12 steps for the rest of your life, and nobody will ever tell you what to believe or that you have to believe. The one thing we ask, he said to me, is you keep an open mind. Well, you know, that made all the difference in my life because I desperately needed what a 12-step program had to offer at that time. But if it meant becoming one of those people I vehemently detested, which were like dogmatic religious people, I wanted no part of it. You know, If, however, I could find a way to work the program without signing up for that, well, I was willing to give that a try. And over the years, I think by keeping that open mind, you know, that action of jamming a little mustard seed in an otherwise slamming door – You know, that's been the key for my developing a relationship with a higher power. Let me address the concept of faith in a higher power as I think it relates to the beginning of a recovery process in a way. You know, I'm a firm believer in the idea that moving on with the steps does not require a belief in any kind of formal higher power. It simply requires that I see myself as a lesser power at least in terms of recovering from compulsive overeating. You know, the key to recovery, I believe, is in that 12-step process that's outlined in the big book about, you know, of alcoholics anonymous. It it's not a matter of conscious contact with a higher power, at least not in the beginning. You know, not to say that having that contact doesn't help, but it isn't required. You see, no matter what you believe or don't believe in about a higher power, You probably think it's been around since before 1935, right? Well, you know what? People were dying of alcoholism without any hope of recovery until then. And people were dying without hope of compulsive overeating until 1960. Well, guess what? Some of those people who died were members of the clergy. Because in my 36 years in program, I have known and know priests, ministers, rabbis, nuns, cantors... All of whom, I'm sure, had a wonderful conscious contact with their higher power, and yet they could not recover until they came here. They needed the steps and the program of recovery, as outlined in the pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I believe that this program and the steps and the big book were God's gift to the 20th century. You know, it's the rowboat that was sent to us to help us get to that shore of recovery. You know All we have to do is get in and row. And that's what all those priests, ministers, and rabbis had to do and have done. Get in the rowboat and row. In, in other words, we put down the food and we pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. You know, So if you're an a, a atheist or an agnostic or an disease, I don't know what the heck to believe you, this stuff you call God and higher power kind of person, no problem. You just need to believe in the rowboat. The only faith you need in the beginning is the faith in this process of recovery. And, you know, finding, you know, faith in this recovery process is easy for a lot of us because we can look around the rooms and we can see the proof that this process works. You know, we see people who have lost tremendous amounts of weight after spending a lifetime of trying to do it with no appreciable results. More importantly, however, is that these people have been maintaining that weight loss for years, sometimes decades. You know, because when I was heavy, I wasn't really impressed when somebody talked about big weight loss because I'd done that multiple times. Now tell me how you did that and kept it off. Now you got my attention. But most importantly is the realization that these people in these rooms who are maintaining that weight loss for a long time were also happy. These people weren't white-knuckling it. They were living the 10-step promises, which is when it came to the food, they'd been placed in a position of neutrality. And, and who doesn't want that, right? Well, there are two important things that I needed to start on the road to recovery, was to realize that there was a power greater than me that could help me with my problem and that that power was, at the very least, the program itself. Now, it's fine if somebody has a more defined idea of a higher power, but I don't think it's necessary to get better. A more important thing for me was the realization that, at least when it comes to my addiction, I was and will always be insane. But let me address that word insane, because I think it's often misunderstood and therefore disregarded by newcomers who really don't believe they're insane. You know, The biggest problem is that this insanity is very subtle and very specific. You know, if I were really nuts, if, if I were to, let's say, find myself wandering in traffic with no idea how I got there, well, then I would have understood that I couldn't trust my decision-making abilities. But, you know, I, and like I think a lot of us, uh, had used our brains for, you know, many years to accomplish many marvelous things. But in terms of this one specific area, putting down my substances and keeping them down – I was insane, and I was insane by my favorite dictionary definition, which I think fits our disease perfectly. It said, a state of mind that prevents normal perception. You know, for my whole life, I'd always said, I know what's best for me. And, and you know what? For the most part, I did. You know, I had, and I still have, a great decision maker, which has benefited me greatly over the years. But when it came to the food, not so much, you know. You know, all these IQ points were useless, you know, as it says in the book, knowledge of our disease alone will not cure us. But why? Because I think even though I have this great decision maker, my decisions are based on faulty data, corrupted data. Well, why? Because when it comes to the food, I have a state of mind which prevents normal perception. So the real key to recovery is simple. You've heard it a lot. Surrender. I had to be willing to throw out my old ideas of what was best for me and trust someone else. You know, and this is also part of the surrender process. I wanted recovery, but you know what? I wanted it on the cafeteria plan. You know, I latched onto that program phrase, you know, take what you want and leave the rest as something I could use in guiding my recovery. Well, That didn't work. (laughs) As much as I like cafeterias, the cafeteria plan in this program is destined to failure. Why? Because the cafeteria plan isn't surrender. It's negotiation. You know, as an old-timer here in Los Angeles says, you cannot negotiate with your disease. It will always win, and you will always lose. So, you know, the key to getting better in this program is still the same, I think, whether you're atheist, agnostic, or a believer. You know, it's the steps in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the first three steps, when it comes to getting abstinent, are the same for everybody. One, realize your lifetime efforts at controlling your food and eating have never produced anything more than limited or temporary results. Two, realize that the problem is you, More specifically, your brain giving you bad decision-making data. Once admitting this fact, come to believe there is a program that can help. And within that program, there are people who are doing what you cannot, which is they are conquering their disease by admitting defeat. And then three, once realizing that, find a sponsor as soon as possible and then take direction. You know, a sponsor has an objective view of your disease that you do not. You, on the other hand, have a disease that affects your decision-making process around food and will try to get you to negotiate fully, uh, negotiate instead of fully fully surrendering. Um, Unfortunately, that just doesn't work. You know, as is often said, you can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain. So now having taken... You know, having taken uh, the pressure off of having to find a fully defined higher power to continue to work the steps for many of us. um, We strive to continue to find a concept of a higher power that works for us. Uh, You know, um, this continual work on developing a conscious contact with a higher power can certainly coexist in parallel with working the steps. Um, at, At the very least, it shouldn't be some roadblock to moving forward with the steps. So if you don't have a fully defined concept of a higher power to work the steps and you don't even need that conscious contact, well, why not just stop there? Well, for me, it was about finding more serenity and peace in my life. You know, I looked around at the people I admired in program and I saw that they had found something with which to connect that not only made their lives easier, but gave them some kind of peace and strength in tough times. And I didn't have that, and so I set about trying to find that for myself. Well, the first thing I think is vital in this endeavor is to deconstruct whatever higher power was foisted upon you as a kid. Now, it's possible you'll reconstruct that exact same higher power. But by doing it this way, the higher power you now construct will be your higher power, not someone else's. You know, Bill Wilson, his whole outlook on spirituality was shaped in a large part by – Uh, William James and his book, of The Varieties of Religious Experience. Now, you know, it's important to mention here that James was a psychologist, not a theologian. Now, in reality, those two vocations can have a certain amount of overlap. And I think in Bill's case, because James was a psychologist, it was easier for him to hear what was said in that book. You know, the defenses that might have been up if the same things were said by a minister weren't in this case. And, you know, in that book, James talks about how most people come to their beliefs. And, you know, sadly, it isn't through some deep introspection and intellectual exercise. Instead, James says, the average believer's religion has been made for him by others, communicated to him by tradition, determined to fix forms by imitation, and retained by habit. And you know what? That was certainly the case for me. You know, I was raised in a very dogmatic religion. In fact, they coined the word dogma. (laughs) And it was, the thing is, it was the one my mother gave to me, as her mother gave it to her and so on, you know, from generation to generation, you know, Lador Vador, as they say in Hebrew. At no point was there any introspection or consideration of what God was and how that force interacted in our lives. You know what we had? We had a hand-me-down God not a god of our own understanding certainly not a god with whom we felt any type of connection or conscious contact you know and additionally i was raised with some strange beliefs in this god you know one time as a kid i got mad and yelled and then i slammed my hand into the door and as i sat there crying my mother came up and said see god is punishing you for yelling so this was the god I was given, you know. And in Sunday school I learned of a punishing god, an angry god, a god with a lot of rules, you know. There weren't just 10 commandments in that book as it, I found out later there were 613, you know. Additionally, every depiction of god I had ever seen showed a male god. You know, and that was a huge problem for me. As almost every male I had ever had in my life was not a loving being. It was not a kind being, it was not a forgiving being, and certainly, as I saw later, not the kind of higher power that was going to help me with my problem, you know, my addictions. See, another problem with faith, I think, is that it requires trust. You know, and I was raised in an alcoholic household, well, two alcoholic households, actually, as my parents, both alcoholics, divorced, and, and I shuttled back and forth between them for years, there was never any consistency you know, things were promised to me in blackouts only to be not remembered the next day. And, of course, the most important promise, I'm going to stop drinking, was, pr- was promised and then broken over and over. And so the result was a kid who couldn't trust couldn't trust people. How can you trust other people when the two people you're supposed to be able to trust the most, your parents, are constantly breaking that trust? And now you want me to believe in this higher power that I can't even see or hear? You know, I mean, are you insane? <laughs> Well, you know, the other thing I did is is something that's mentioned in We Agnostics. I was confusing God with the humans who sell themselves as interpreters of God or agents of God. And because it fit that preconceived atheist agnostic notion I had, I always look for the worst examples, you know, such as like TV ministers with high-profile scandals. You know, I never looked for the immense amount of good that was and is being done around the world by people of faith, you know, know, and that – That is and was, you know, always to me the most important thing, deeds. You know, you can tell me what, you know, what a wonderful person of faith you are, but have you been a living example of it? Well, anyway, you know, with all that negative baggage, I had moved not only away from the faith of my birth, but in belief in any kind of higher power altogether, you know. So I came into my first program calling myself an atheist. Now, in retrospect, I was actually an agnostic. You know, I really can't understand people who, consider themselves true atheists, because an atheist says there is definitely no God or higher power. You know, I'm sorry, I don't have that kind of faith. (laughs) Well, think about it, because how do you prove there is no God? You can't any more than you can prove there is a God. You know, both views ironically require some faith. And at that point, (laughs) when came in, and my faith was in really short supply. So I would vacillate back and forth between not believing in a God And wanting to believe in a God when I needed one. (laughs) In retrospect, I wasn't looking for a higher power. I was looking for Santa Claus. You know, I'd call on him or her or it or whatever when I needed to get out of a scrape or I desperately wanted something. You know, it's like if you give me what's on this list, God, then I'll be open to the possibility that you exist. (laughs) Well, you know what? That's Santa Claus. You know, here's my list, God. Don't forget to check it twice. You know, and I'd vacillate between those two mindsets and then the intellectual snobbery that had taken over me saying, you know, only weak and dumb people believed in God. And since I'm so way above average intellectually, uh, it would be embarrassing to believe in God. Well, guess what? Einstein believed in God. You know, so belief in intelligence are not mutually exclusive, you know, nor, in my opinion, is belief in science. You know, I mean— Perhaps there are specific religious beliefs that say they are, but I had to walk away from those. You know, I believe in a higher power today, and I also believe in the Big Bang theory and evolution. And I don't understand why God couldn't have a hand in all of that. And it's funny when I meet a true atheist who reveres science overall. I'll I'll always ask the, "And where did the Big Bang come from?" And question, and what was there before it? And most of the time, they don't have very satisfying answers. You know, mostly theories. And when I ask for proof, they, they haven't any. And, and I, that's when I love to frustrate them and say, so, so you are a man of faith, I guess. <laughs> but looking back, though, my main reasoning for why there was no God was was faulty, at least a bit egotistical. You know, I would go to my first sponsor with these deep philosophical questions like, how can there be a God if there's a Holocaust? How can there be a God if there's horrible cruelty in the world? And he'd just look at me and smile and go, well, if you knew that, you'd be God, wouldn't you? <laughs> Well, I wanted to punch his lights out, but he was right, you know, in addition to wanting God to fill my list of things, I was also saying I wanted answers. You know, there is no God as long as that God, that higher power, wasn't willing to answer my questions. You know, I mean I'm talking about a subject that theologians and scholars have been examining for centuries and it came down to this if you don't answer John's questions to his satisfaction, then you don't exist. You know those why questions didn't help. You know, I I believe that why is one of the most useless words in the English language because think about it. If you ask why, it's almost always because you don't like something that's just happened, right? And if you get the why question answered exactly the way you want, which is what .0005 percent of the time, you're still going to be right where you started. But if you don't get your why question answered right, then you're frustrated, you're angry, you feel life's not fair, etc. And then, you know, looking back, many times, why came from to me as a result of disappointment. And, you know, I can look backwards now and realize that many of the things in my life that were terribly disappointing to me at the time, you know, things that I cried why to the heavens, turned out to be good for me. Or they were part of a chain of events that ended up yielding wonderful results. And so one of the greatest things that happened to me is when I decided to lose the word why from my vocabulary. And, you know, when I did, my life got a lot easier and a lot more peaceful. And once those why questions went away, a lot of those barriers to finding a faith in something, you know, they sort of fell by the wayside. The fact was that I was trying to understand, you know, the ineffable, you know, something that is so much bigger than me than I could even fathom. And I wanted to... To be congruent with my little pea brain logic, <laughs> you know, and even that logic is flawed in that I'm expecting to have all of life's mysteries explained and wrapped up, you know, and it, with a little bow on top. I was also equating my higher powers' abilities with my own in a strange way. I mean, by that I mean, you know, when I was given the idea of a higher power that could help me with my food problem, that who cared about my food problem, you know, it seemed ridiculous to me. You know, God's got better things to do than to help me stay away from a donut today. You know, as if my higher power is helping me with my abstinence would mean it would have to walk away from stopping a war somewhere else. I mean, talk about lack of confidence in a power way bigger than me. I mean, think about it. If 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 I can um, you know, if I can multitask, you know, why can't my higher power, you know, God to me, is, is the ultimate multitasker, you know. Let me talk a minute. By the way, about the word God. It took me a long time in program to get comfortable with that word. You know, again, I got that it was a higher power of my understanding, but that word still dredged up all kinds of negative memories. You know, today for me, it's a matter of simplicity God is one syllable, whereas higher power is four. But it means whatever it means to each individual person. You know, it's like this old science question of whether everybody sees colors the same way. you know, We all have as a society decided that the color you see on a stop sign is called red. But maybe if you could get inside my head, what I see as red, you see as the color blue. I mean, we'll never know for sure, and it doesn't matter. The stop sign is red, and that means whatever color we see as red. And that's the same thing to me as the word God in program. It's whatever it means to you, and that's all that matters. I also had to make some concessions to the origin of the program, which came from a Christian background. You know, as a result, seeing the male hymn in places is weird, but I accept it. I also have to accept there's a few places in the Big Book that, are, for me, are a little hard to read, especially when there's phrases like "He is our Father, we are His children." Again, I have to consider the time that the book was written in and what the legacy thinking that was brought forward from the Oxford Group in the early days of AA. So instead, I had to look more for what I wanted my higher power to be. How was I going to find something outside of me or inside of me that was going to help me with my problem? And I tell you, in my early days, I was constantly wrestling with that. And, but then I got deeply into my relapse cycle. And at that point, when I was in and out of the food, I tried to wish a higher power onto myself. I would hear people in meetings talking about their higher power and how it was doing amazing things for them, and and I wanted that too. Of course, I only ever saw the exterior of that person at a meeting, and I had no idea what actual effort she or he was taking in that partnership. And so I went into my next foray with a God of my misunderstanding, with the idea that I would pray to this idea of a higher power that would somehow magically take care of all my food and life problems automatically. You know, one that required no real effort on my part. You know, one small prayer to a higher power, and I thought that higher power would sprinkle the fairy dust of recovery on my life and make it all effortless. You know, I've come to understand that while it says in the promises, God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I think at the same time, I believe God will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. You know, the reality about that search, you know, was for an abstinence fairy God that was you know, this wasn't my thinking. This was my diseases thinking. And that's why today I'm a huge believer in the concept of higher powers plural as in god myself and another human being you know you know this is cuz i can go meditate on things concerning my disease and get really spiritual and deep and come back convinced god told me chocolate's a vegetable <laughs> but then i call my sponsor and he's like nah not for today you know but i need that extra connection with another compulsive overeater because i don't know what is the voice of my higher power Versus, what is the voice of my disease just doing a really good impression of my higher power? You know, for me, I believe I was the perfect example of what it says in the spiritual experience. You know, it says most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James called the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of this difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. Well, this is certainly what happened to me. I mean, today, the voice of my higher power is often that nagging little voice that's reminding me about things I have to do that I'd rather not do. (laughs) You know, when, when you're a kid, you get pushed into doing things that you'd rather not do by your parents, You know, and many times in life I've thought back about how I was really glad my parents forced me to do something I didn't want to at the time that has since really benefited me. And I think in a lot of ways that little voice inside, which I've identified as a higher power, has become the parent to this adult compulsive eater. You know, for me, I believe my higher power is not a deity dictating things from on high, but rather a universe helping me navigate life a voice within me, you know, the good within me, you know, the spark that helps me rise above the level of animal kingdom, you know. I mean, if you think about what a 12-step program is asking us to do, it's to be relieved of the bondage of self. You know, self, however, it's inbred in us. You know, the program is asking us to fight millions of years of evolution. You know, it's possible that one of my ancestors pushed his best friend in front of a saber-toothed tiger to escape death. Now, that would have been a horrible thing to do, but it kept the bloodline alive so that I was later born. And this kind of thing is in my DNA. And so the rising above animal nature is what I believe is is about finding the God within. You know, the good within us, if you have trouble with that G word. I mean, if you think about examples of true self-sacrificing goodness in the world, like, like when you hear of a soldier who jumps on a hand grenade to save his buddies, You know, that fights every built-in urge of self-preservation I talked about. Well, you know, selflessness, selflessness, I think, contains at least a little spark of God. You know, albeit a God working through humans. You know, at the end of the day, my progression on belief has been a journey. You know, from the early days of my sobriety where I was an earnest, if misguided, seeker, wanting to know all the answers to things that couldn't be answered, and then my disease hijacked me during my relapse, having me looking for that higher power that would do all the work I needed to do myself. And now, now it's, it's simply this little small voice inside me that guides my thinking. It's, you know It's that annoying voice that keeps whispering to me when I'm doing something I know I shouldn't be doing. And it's also the peace I have, knowing or at least believing that everything's happening exactly the way it's supposed to, even if I don't like it. And today, I don't spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about the nature of my higher power, at least not like I did when I was new. Because you know what? My higher power doesn't need for me to believe to exist and to work miracles in my life. I mean, the fact that I'm alive at all is a miracle to me. I mean, if this had been 100 years ago, and AA and OA hadn't existed, I'd have been dead for a quarter century easy, you know? And in terms of my higher power giving me a strength that I previously didn't have, I think that goes back to having a great amount of fear removed from me in my life. You know, I think that being in a 12-step way of life requires us living the serenity prayer constantly. You know, when I believe that my higher power has my back, the fear that used to inhibit my ability to have the courage to change the things I can, well, that fear drops away. I'm more open to try new you know, things that were, will take me out of my comfort zone because, because fear of things not working out is gone. My job is to do my part and leave the results up to God. I don't have to fear a bad outcome because as long as I do my best, that's all I can ask. And what should, and that's the thing I should be proud of, not what comes as the result of my doing the best. You know, another form of strength con, concerns adversity. You know, when I was able to lose the narcissistic idea that bad things are never supposed to happen to me, guess what? Bad things do happen to me and will happen to me in the future. Now, if I'm honest with myself, I don't think I get as many bad things as as other people. In fact, I think I've gotten a lot less. But my job, when the adversity hits, is the same as I spoke about in the fear. You know, it's, I, I need to do my part, whatever it is, and leave the results up to what's meant to be. And that goes for everything I hold dear for me, you know, fear of financial insecurity, fear of bad things happening to those I love, and including bad things happening to me. And that includes my health even, you know, even life and death. You know, on my last fourth step, death wasn't even on my fear inventory. Permanent incapacitation, yes, but not death. You know, I read a perfect description about these questions of the search for higher power in one of my favorite pieces of program literature, and it's not spoken a lot of in OA because it's a piece of AA literature, but boy, it's helped me immensely over the years. It's a pamphlet, and it's called A Member's Eye View of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was written by an AA member who is also a psychologist. And the pamphlet is a transcription of a talk he gave to UCLA graduates who are becoming substance abuse counselors. But in it, he talked about some AA members' search for a higher power, which was a lot like my early days. And in it, he says this. He says, this search for perfection for the one perfect answer is the hallmark of the neurotic. (laughs) Ever since Eden, man has cried out, give me a ritual, give me a word, give me a prayer, give me a chant, give me a cross, a relic, a string of beads, give me a mantra, give me a conundrum, give me something, give me anything, just so long as it's a magical, mechanical formula that I can touch or hold or say or do, and that then all will be well. Well, to apply the same unrealistic yardstick to AA is un, as unfair to the fellowship as it would be or has been to any other human institution. True freedom lies in the realization and calm acceptance of the fact that there may very well be no perfect answer. It remains then for each man to discover and, and to share whatever works for him. And I just love that. You know, You know, today it's really about letting go. You know, as the old program expression says, let go or be dragged. You know, I learned how to find a way to not spend my life swimming upstream against the current. You know, I learned about turning and going with the current. Or at the very least, I learned to swim sideways to the calm water and reconnoitre. In other words, I have undergone a profound alteration in my reaction to life. Now, you know, today outside these rooms, I've gotten involved in a new religion, and it's not the one of my birth. Ironically, in some ways, it has even more rules and dogma than the religion of my birth. However, it's one that has a very big tent, you know, with many ideas on how to work it. You know, it believes in wrestling with God, or rather wrestling with the concept of God and what it means in our lives. And I wear it like a loose garment, knowing that the higher power I've come to believe in has far less rules than what some of the humans in any religion say. You know, it has become my religion. It's not my family's hand-me-down religion. And you know, you know, even with this new path, I have not become one of those spiritual People I detested when I came in program because I am not on a religious path. I'm on a spiritual path. You know, as they say, religion is for people who fear hell. Spirituality is for people who have been there and don't want to go back. And for today, I don't want to go back. You know, I also want to lead that happy, joyous, and free life that the book promises. I want to continue to improve on the things in the way of life that's spoken about in those ninth-step promises. And more, most importantly, I want to continue to stay in that position of neutrality with the food that the tenth-step promises guarantee me. For, as it says in those promises, this is how I will react as long as I keep in fit spiritual condition. And that, that's a day-at-a-time lifelong process. So for anyone who's trying to uh, come to some belief in a higher power, I would say to you what was said to me many years ago. Keep an open mind. Realize that what's spoken about in the big book as a higher power as you read it now doesn't necessarily look like the one you're seeing in your head and that you'll have in the future. Suspend judgment. Quit the debating society and try to lose the cynicism about the concept. Most importantly, quit trying so hard to figure it out. You know, the most important thing is to realize what I was told many years ago, that God cannot be understood with the head. It must be felt with the heart. And with that, uh, I pass. Thanks for letting me share.
0: Thank you so much, John, for your beautiful, insightful, and helpful presentation this morning. So very lovely. Thanks for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with all of us. John's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. We're now going to transition to a question and answer period, and you can ask a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. State your name with the first letter of your last name as well, please. Melissa C. Melissa C. Stacy T. Gotcha, Stacy. Lori T. Lori T. All right, let's go with that first grouping. Melissa C. Go right ahead.
2: Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered uh, compulsive reader, New York. Thank you so much, Don. I really. I got a lot out of your share. Um, you mentioned a pamphlet, an AA pamphlet, um, and I just wanted to know if you could repeat the name of that again.
1: Sure, I quote it all the time. I, I sometimes hand them out at retreats. Um, it is called a Members' Eye View of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's. I'll just give you a quick little thing on it. In a lot of ways, it's it's just almost a restatement of the Big Book. But in, in terms that I think help people, I'll give that a lot to newcomers because, you know, it, it's it's not exactly a, a secret that, you know, the big book, having been written when it was, it contains a certain amount of language that we can now see as a little archaic and sexist to a certain extent. And, and it's hard sometimes for newcomers to, to grasp it because it, of that language. And this is it, – it's a restatement of all. All of the stuff in the big book, but in, in sort of modern terms. And I and I just love it for that reason and and uh, again a members eye view of Alcoholics Anonymous.
0: Thank you, Melissa. Stacy T. Star one time mute Stacy T.
1: By the way, that pamphlet is available up on A dot read it online. My
3: apologies. Good morning, John. Stacey T. calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Thank Thank you you so very much. I couldn't write fast enough, and I'm grateful that uh, I have the recording to go back to. And I have tears almost ready to come up, and I'm grateful that uh, you have 36 years of um, your sobriety. And um, I have come from a religion where it was told to me or not and demonstrated to me um, to be um, punishing and all the things that you referenced, including the, all the things that you referenced, <clears throat> as well as your uh, background uh, coming from an alcoholic family as I did. And I have struggled um, throughout my life um, in believing something greater than me and then putting it down after maybe a few years and then searching for something else because I really, really wanted to know that there was something greater than me, whether it was regarding my addiction or not. My question to you is, I have. St- this is a primary program for me, though I qualify for several others, uh, and imperfectly work those. And right now, I'm focused on OA. Can you explain a little bit more about God will not do for me what I can do for myself, as well as God, myself, and another human being. Um, because I've spoken to a lot of human beings that um, have been hard for me because of my restlessness about um, the depth of my fear and worry and grateful for this day to have a sponsor that is more than I could ever dreamed of having in terms of the spiritual depth and breath. So thank you so much, and I pass.
1: Okay um well let me let me uh god i i was so thinking about the second part i've now forgotten the first part hopefully Leia can help me on that but the 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 second part about uh god myself and another human being you know in the aa 12 and 12 it talks about going it alone in spiritual matters is dangerous and and i think this is actually something that exists in a lot of various other forms of spirituality slash religion is to have a grounding out. I I always say that and and when I first came into my first program I, I felt like 12 step spirituality is grounded out. You know, I I've been in a uh, technical field at some point uh, with electronics and you have to ground out something to keep it from having what's called floating voltage. And I think grounding out means, you know, again, I can go off and have all kinds of deep philosophical thoughts and and you know as it says when it talks about prayer and meditation prayer is is talking to god and and meditation is listening for the answer but you know and this is something that again people have been talking about for generations about you know am i really hearing this higher power am i just being delusional am i or in the in the case of some of my thoughts is it my disease trying to get back in and and I think if you can find and it's wonderful, I mean I have a wonderful sponsor who i you know talk about there's nothing, there are no secrets and and I respect him, you know, and it's it's not about um for me, it's more of having an objective thing it's it's like you know he has less time and program than me, but it doesn't matter, you know um you know I have you know uh I have spawned. I'm trying to think. I have, sp- you know, I, we're all at different levels. Most of my sponsees today, we're really peers. We're, we're, you know, we're talking to each other to keep ourselves and and to give ab- objective feedback uh, because it's so hard. You know, the, the the thing in human life is everything for all of us is constantly a subjective thing, and I I can think I know what my higher power wants me to do. But I believe in the idea of talking to other human beings. Now, obviously, it has to be a, a human being you trust and whose who's counsel you, you value. And sometimes that can be a trial and error thing um, to find somebody. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in the idea of a God squad. I think my sponsors helped me with so many things over the years. But, you know, some things. I mean, my old sponsor, Carl, who moved away I remember one time coming to him with when I was dating somebody who, who it wasn't who wasn't working out. And I, I came sort of griping and going, what is it with women? And, da, 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 and it was like griping. And he looked at me and he said, you know, John, I can't help you. I'm a gay man and I'm not in a relationship. And, and I laughed, but I thought, my God, what humility to not feel like he had to have all the answers. And he pointed me to somebody, his sponsor, Jack, who, who was in a long-term relationship and and I think in program, having a God squad is so important because, you know, not – nobody has all the answers, and, you know, and having a group of people around to ground out. And when you maybe do prayer and meditation, to have people you, and say, hey, you know, I was – you know, and, and explain the situation and get feedback because I believe – I believe God expresses Himself through other human beings, and I think that's so important that I not be this free-floating person, just me and God. I, I think there's a certain ego in that, you know. I'm going to go off, and God's going to give me every answer. Uh, this way, I can at least ground out with, with people. And I think the longer you're at it, the more finely tuned you your your receiver gets, and you can know. And again, I th- I think a lot of it is just I know certain things. Oh, I remember about the God. Doing not doing for you what you can do for yourself. I just think there's times I, I um. I I find myself wanting to pray for something. and Realize, come on, John. You, you know what you got to do here. You, you know this is you're looking for a shortcut. You know you're looking for a way out. And 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 that, that may very well be my my higher power talking through me. You know, over the years I've had points where uh, something's come up, and all of a sudden. Uh, a thought comes in my head that is absolutely foreign to me, and and it'll pop in. and I'll go, huh? Where'd that come from? And I believe those are are the voice of my higher power. You know, uh, I mean, one of them is a thing I did. As a, I've done as a joke and and it is you know at a at a at a comedy show, but it absolutely happened when I was in the middle of my relapse. I remember saying, uh, you know, for the umpteenth time. Okay, I'm redefining my abstinence, and a voice in my head said, "No, you're not, John. You broke your abstinence. You're just, you're just redefining your honesty." And I was like, you know, one of those looking around the room, who said that? But to me, that's what that higher power is, and the idea that my, I, I think yes, I can pray for things, and then sometimes it's, you know, I know what the answer is, but I'm hoping. God will take the load for me, and have there be an easier, softer way. I think maybe that's what it is. It's a lot of times I know what the answer is. I'm just praying for an easier, softer way because I don't want to do the work that I know my higher power is saying. Here's the path. You got to do this. You got to suck it up. It might not be easy. It might require effort, but that's the way. I'm not gonna do the work for you. You know. So I hope that helps.
3: Immensely. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Stacy,
0: Lori T, our one time mute.
4: Well, the good news is I think my higher power just gave me the answer to what was my question to that previous dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm done. Thank you so much for the opportunity, though, and I appreciate uh-huh. the time.
0: Super. Thanks, Lori. Who else has a question for John this morning? You'll need to press Katie our- G. Katie G. Knew
5: I asked, sorry.
0: You're a good example and state <laughs> on our last name. As was just uh, demonstrated. Who else has a question? Four Four eight. More? Can you repeat that please? Didn't catch it.
4: Four Four eight. More? Am I
0: eight? hearing? You? Got it. Okay, let's start with Katie G. Thank you.
5: Good morning, Leigh. I apologize for uh, interrupting. And, John, thank you so much for your wonderful talk. Um, My question today is, you know, I've been recovered for a few 24 hours. I know I'm not cured. I accept that. That's wonderful and part of my daily discipline. However, I mean, I just come up against these time periods where I live in a lot of fear, and I do my turnarounds, and I pray to God, and I, I ask for spiritual considerations from my sponsor and my God Squad, and yet, it's like, I know the truth, I have the truth, it hasn't obviously sunk into my heart, and I just experientially have this, like, chronic anxiety that that doesn't go away, and, um you know, a lot of people say where there's fear, there is no faith, which is not True, But I was hoping you could address that, like any times that you've gotten stuck and things that might have helped you um, with fear or any other um, issue that you've had. And I thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Well, first of all, let me disabuse you of the notion that I never have any fear or I'm walking around like Gandhi. you know I'll just tell you a quick thing and I'll get right back to it is that you know when I first got got abstinent uh i was uh i was uh thin as not well on the hoof you know I was back east and I had lost a lot of weight and 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 I, you know, there's that old commercial, uh, uh, how did it go? It's like, uh, I, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Well, I was like, I, I'm not an old timer, but I play one at meetings, you know. And I, I thought uh, old timers all walk around spiritual, and they speak quietly. And, and that's where I did this, we did this um, skit at, at in Newark called the Sponsortron 2000. Well, um, there, we came from a joke that I I, I was actually trying to be the Sponsor Tron 2000, where I had all of these different programs. Slogans to throw back at people when they had problems, and the reality is that wasn't reality, you know. And the great thing about moving out here to LA and seeing people with twenty, thirty, forty years—people I absolutely respect more than anything—they're human beings. They're human beings, and they—it's always one step forward, two steps back. One, you know, two steps forward, and and, and I think it's oh, it's meant to be that where we're human beings and the human experience. And that all of the stuff that's in the big book, they are ideals toward which to strive, but that we're never going to hit them. One of my favorite lines Harlan says is, you know, no matter how hard we work, we don't rise above the level of human being. And and can I tell you I don't? No, I I do. And that to me is another thing is that things that come up instinctually, I mean – I think there's like a little 5-year-old in me that's always going to be there and it's always going to want to, you know, yell, scream or cry. And what I've learned now is 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 I had to get away from the kind of family upbringing I had where my family would say it's stupid to feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. Well, you know what? You're going to feel the way you're going to feel. And if you don't let it out, then all you're doing is like trying to put a a coat of lacquer on a wound, you know? And you got to clean the wound out before you can do anything with it. And so sometimes it's a matter of feeling that feeling in the short term and not going oh and not beating yourself up for feeling the feeling because it's it's part of the human experience i mean you know i i work for myself and i've worked for myself you know first i was you know i became a stand up for, for about 20 15 20 years and then i i had a computer background i went back into it and i'm a um you know i work for myself and anybody who works for themselves, you're going to have good times, and you're going to have lean times. And what happens in the lean times is those my little five year old will start going, that's it, we're gonna, I'm going to be living under a bridge in a box. You know, I'm going to be selling fruit at the end of the off ramp. I'm gonna, you know, and and I'll listen to it, and I'll the part of me that's changed now is my my sort of the adult me can sort of stand over my own shoulder, you know, figuratively and say, okay, are you done? (laughs) You know, and to let that fear out because, you know, I think, um, I just think it's, it's something that will come in a wave and not, not to try and, and, and stop the wave, but to let it wash over and through and, and out the other side and to realize, you know, that's just, that's always going to happen, that there's going to be this first thought. And then, and then to say no, it's never happened before. You know, I um I always love to tell the analogy. I, I, I joke about it sometimes, Retrice I says some of the my deepest thinking over the years has come from Bugs Bunny cartoons. <laughs> and by that I mean this is this great Bugs Bunny cartoon where they he, he wakes up one morning and they're building a building right over his hole, you know? And and it's like one of these, you know you know, typical there the it's nothing but girders, right? And so he goes way, way, way up on this high building and he's he you know, he's walking along this girder, you know, and any step he could fall off. And all of a sudden he gets conked on the head and it's you know, your typical cartoon birds flying around the head. And he's obviously senseless and he's walking along this girder and, and at any minute he could fall off to his death and he just sort of walks along and he's coming to the end of the girder at the end of the building that's being built. And just as he hits there a, a girder swings along on a crane, and he steps onto this this one single girder, and he walks along the length of that. And just as he gets to the end of that length, the girder comes up against the, another floor of the building, and he walks off. And I mean, I got to tell you something. That, that's a wonderful analogy for my life. Is that when I look at all the things that have happened in my life. It's always worked out. It has always worked out. It may not have worked out exactly the way I wanted to, and 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 that. But I. I and the, if there's any good thing about getting older, <laughs> it's that you now have enough uh, life experience to go. You know, wait a minute. You know, I, I've gotten through this, that, and the other, and things that I thought were going to be horrible, and, and it ended up all right. You know, and with fear, you know, again, and some of this is also, I. With fear, and I did a whole thing on on, on fear, uh, you know, last year or something, I think part of fear, um, you know, I want to get ahead of things, you know, I would I would have something come up and I would want to run through all the possibilities like a chess match, and, and of course, none of those ever came to pass, and all I was really doing was traumatizing myself instead of saying, you know, at some point or another, I just, I have to do the next indicated step, and I, yeah, I don't, You know, I can prepare for things, but then I got got to just trust that it's going to work out. And then to adjust my thinking of, okay, is this, you know, um, you know, is this, am I getting what I want? Am I getting what I need versus am I getting what I want? You know, there's a great line in the back of the big book. It's the uh, the last, I think it's the last story that talks about we have to differentiate our our wants, which are never you know never totally met versus our needs which are always taken care of and and I need to remember um that when I look back they have um and again I just think it's about acknowledging the fact that we're always going to have fear it's built into us it's in the amygdala of the brain it, and it's it's not meant to be gone away but it's it's about letting it wash and then allowing your program part to take over. You know, I hate to use old hokey psych expressions like your inner child, but it's really what it is in a way. It is my little inner child, my little child of alcoholic. Oh, oh my God, uh, I'm going to be all alone. I I can't trust anything. The world. What am I going to do? I better think everything out. And uh, and today I don't. I realize that it's um. It's useless in a way. I hate to say it that way. But that if you really do get – and I today I really think about how I live in step one, two, and three. You know, One for me today being I'm powerless over people, places, and things and, and, and realizing it's a big scary world out there that I have to find a way to come to terms with. And for that I have to have some faith that, that, that it's going to work out because what a lot of that fear is based on is, is control and lack of control and the reality is we don't have control over a lot of things if we really stop and think about it and it'll drive us crazy if we don't find a way there's so many scary things in the world don't pick up a newspaper anymore my god i get i get you know uh, you know you could become a nervous wreck reading you know just various things in the world and today i i i just have to say i, I think everything's going to work out and i know that sounds Pollyanna-ish, but it isn't that but again, I need to adjust. A, I need to let the humanist come through, and B, I need to um, to differentiate my wants from my needs. So I hope that helps.
0: Thanks, Katie G. Santa H, your turn. Star one to mute.
4: Good morning, everyone, and thank you, up for your service, and thank you, John, for a wonderful presentation this morning. I'm um, just looking at my notes here gathering what you shared, which is beautiful, you're talking about trusting the process and that it all comes down to a faith in something, whatever we choose to call it, um, that brings about peace and serenity, um, a.k.a. the promises. And I also like where you used the hand-me-down religion coin, a family hand-me-down religion coined phrase there. My question is, um, summing all that up, Oh, you as a guide and working with protégés, can you share a wonderful experience of of where you help someone let go of that hand-me-down um, religion and transform to the other side and what that process is like and some of the uh, wonderful experience or examples of how you help that person and how it helped you? We'd love to hear from that okay. point of view. Thank yeah. you. Well,
1: I think I have to, I I try to be very careful because I don't want to ever jam my idea of a higher power down anybody else's throat and I don't even I mean I will you know if somebody talks about um you know I don't know it's one of these weird things where I don't want to ever talk down somebody's religion you know okay I as I mentioned in my talk I I have for my own sake come to believe in a higher power that um, that has done all these things in the world and that has made them all the way they are. And, and so I do believe in a Big Bang. I don't want to tell somebody who happens to have a religion that says that the world didn't start with a Big Bang, that they have to. But I will say to them, is this working for you? Is this higher power actually working or have you set it up as an authority figure you know is it it is some is it something that you don't really feel like in yourself when you're walking around i can i can just tell you that there is a part of me that that just has a feeling like there's something that's been folded into every you know cell of my body and it you know i'm not again i, I don't want to make sure nobody thinks i'm delusional or or thinks i'm talking on high but that that it's just there and and when I, I i think about some of the things i mean it's so hard because i i do see some people who really wrestle with having been born into a religion that has specific beliefs that just aren't going to work for them you know i've had gay sponsees who who are also people that that were raised with a faith who are terribly terribly tormented uh, you know, with with dealing with what they've been told their whole life versus what they are. I mean, again, here I'm going to say a personal belief. All these things, I hope everybody gets. All these are a personal belief. There's certainly not any representative OA as a whole or anything. And you could have a hundred percent opposite or 180 degree different thing. And you may very well be a hundred percent right, and I could be a hundred percent wrong, but i I have such trouble with the idea that God creates somebody and then tells them they're not supposed to be that way you know um it, I, it just there's and there's there are certain things that I hear of that are part of scripture or Torah or whatever you want to say that I listen to and I think that that sounds so human. And not a good human sometimes you know that you know whatever it is, you know you hear that you have to do this or this, this this, or this, or you're going to hell, and I think god that that doesn't even sound like a loving father, it sounds like a nasty father, and that was what i I ran away from and and so um you know i I think the one thing I can think of was a person I think I helped to a certain extent who was gay and who was trying to come to terms with that and how it was going to um uh they were going to be able to deal with that. You know, there's a great film I saw a while ago of, of, a, of a specific faith and, and gay people in there trying to come to terms with that. That's just an example. There are many others I'm sure of I can't think of, but about the idea of maybe you need to open your your, your view of a higher power to something else that isn't that hand-me-down. And, to, and, and you know, to me, it's all about trying, trying to find that thing that's going to help you with your life to make it better, you know if if you've got a higher power that you're constantly looking over your shoulder worrying about lightning bolts hitting you, you know there's a problem, but then you know there is for most of us you know it's also about a moral life you know um when I went through this um this conversion process to this other religion um you know there were people sitting there and asking me questions, and at the end of the day, I said, you know I can only tell you one thing at at the end of the day, no matter what." Uh, am I going to be a good example for your religion? <laughs> and 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 I try my best every day to be the best human being. And I, I'm sure, like I said, I fail, but I go through my life trying to be. And I, I and that's what I've said to Sponsees. is if you're trying to go through your life as best as you can, I can't believe there's a higher power out there that's going to give you a hard time about that. Anyway, that's what I have.
0: Thank you, Santa, for your question. Marty A., your turn. Star 1 to unmute. Hi, can I be heard? Yes.
4: Thank you. Hi, this is Marty A. in North Carolina. And um, thank you so much for this. Thanks. I have two questions really about your new religion and how you got there. One Mm -hmm. is, um, were you surprised um, to find yourself with a new religion? And How did it come about for you? Were you seeking a certain kind of community, or was
1: it something else? Thank you. Okay. No, it's a good question. Um, I think part of it is I had wonderful powers of example around me who were part of that religion. And um, I can also say, being the the slightly cynical New York comedian son of alcoholics, um, I am not a huge fan of religions that, to sort of proselytize, and this religion doesn't and, and in fact, it goes out of its way to talk you out of it <laughs> and and that that right there intrigued me, but it, it's also about in having had good, long discussions with people who are members of that faith and even you know members of of this program who are clergy in that faith and um talking about what that faith was and getting rid of some preconceived notions and and I will say that look at the end of the day uh the religion i was born with isn't a horrible religion and 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 i think and i've known people who've gone into that religion as a result of of being in program and and i think some of it is that because it's given to you you sometimes have a little bit more of a problem with it, as opposed to this one, where I I came into it and chose it, and and there is in this religion the take what you want and leave the rest thing. Now and that means means that I may not be up to the levels that certain parts of the religion think I should be in, and that's fine. I, I accept that, um, but that uh, the people I've seen that I I that that sort of they were the program of attraction, you know. And I saw the, what I, I saw, and in talking with them, I realized that there, this was a big tent religion, and that I didn't have to believe in, you know, all these 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 commandments and stuff like that. I could, I could take what I want and leave the rest. And and that's not to say that it, it, you know there aren't sort of basic ideas, you know, uh, about this. In other words, I can't you know go out and you know, steal and, and, and all those things. That's, you know, I think that's just part of basic morality, but, you know, even if I wasn't a member of any organized religion, I think program gave me that, you know, you do, you do enough fourth steps and, you know, ninth steps and, and, and look at your character defects and, and, and that sort of goes away, I think. So, um, and, and like I said, what, again, and this was a a multi-year thing and it wasn't, Uh, my wife happens to be of that faith but it wasn't, everybody assumed oh you did this because you were getting married but it it wasn't true it was something I had been thinking about for a long time And, and actually a friend of mine Had gone through this and and we were talking about it. And I said, Well, you know, it was one of these things where you can go through this education and then decide at the end whether you want to or not, which is exactly what I did. I said, Well, it couldn't hurt. There's there's nothing, nobody ever, uh, you know, had a problem with learning more stuff about anything. And so, and went through that learning process and then decided at the end I I wanted to go through. And again, it's not like I, you know, I walk around, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be a clergyman in that religion tomorrow. And, but yeah, and it, it, there is a certain sense of community, and 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 uh, uh, you know, it, it just—I it, it, don't know—it just felt right. That's that's the only way I can describe it. It felt right, and and of course, I'm a very flawed member of that community. Do I, you know, am I doing something every week? No, I'm not. But um, I know I'm a part of it, and I I feel better as a result. So that's about it.
0: Thanks, Marty A, for the questions. Okay, who else has a question for John this morning? You can press star one to unmute and announce your name, including the first letter of your last name
2: Deborah M.
0: Deborah M. Julie. Julie, I didn't catch the your initial. Please. B. B. Who else? Harman, w. Carlin, I caught you. There's somebody else trying to come on as well.
6: It's Leslie W. Leah.
0: Hey, Leslie. Hey. Anyone else? All right. Nice list. Devora M. Go ahead. Everybody else, please mute. Thanks. Devora star one to unmute.
2: Hi, can you hear me? I do. Okay, thanks, Leah. Thanks for your service, Leah. And John Kay, thank you so much. I I only heard the last fifteen minutes, so if my question has already been answered in your first, whatever it was, half an hour, please just tell me to listen to the recording. Um, this is a question I, I love, first of all, I loved the last 15 minutes that I heard. And I like what you were reading that, about give me a prayer, give me a sign, give me a, you know, a, a modus, a slogan, all that. was. I love that. I'm like a moth to a flame to that kind of stuff. And so, but what happens for me is I don't have a problem with a higher power with God. I believe that there's a God. I've always believed there's a God. It was implanted in me, but I forget to turn to him. And so I guess this is more like a constant contact kind of question. Like how constant is your contact? That's my first question. And has it does it ebb and flow where you're connected and then you go through times when you're not connected? Or do you find like over your recovery you've just it just becomes more a natural part of your spiritual landscape that you just connect more and more. You just turn to him more naturally. Or I know him is you turn to God more naturally. Um so that's my question. And then my other question is just as an addict, I'd like to know, are there things like those things that you listed, I think you were reading something, that work better for you to, to remember? Because it's not so much, I can take my quiet time in the morning and I'm totally connected. No God runs the world. And then I get up and I'm, I'm running everybody else's world and I'm taking everybody's inventory. And so I forget real quick. So that's my question about constant contact. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just writing down ideas here about that. Um... Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that was in this real question about what was harder to to come into program and find a higher power if you had no belief or one that you had a belief in. And it's an interesting question. Where I'm going to be doing a um, a session at the OA birthday party in January, uh, and it's this is actually going to be pretty much the basis for my part of it. But I'm doing this workshop with with uh Michael K from Denver who uh is also a clergyman and the whole idea of you of of attacking finding a higher power mine coming from having come from an atheist and him having come from a clergyman who obviously then needed some help with that because it it is a tough thing you know to to deal with that and to, and to just i you know i think it requires you know a different way of looking at things and Yeah, I mean uh, the ebbing and flowing. Absolutely, you know. Again, that human thing, uh, the the human nature. uh, It's it comes and goes, and you cannot help. Especially, you know. I remember my first sponsor used to say, "An addict under enough pressure resorts to type or reverts to type, meaning just you will automatically start to do whatever has been in you forever. But then, hopefully, program helps you then immediately start backing away from that a little bit." but it's it's hard in in the moment to not not have some of that and go you know and become a human again and 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 I think what happens is you get better at catching it quicker or maybe you get better at at your program stops before it's going to happen and i think it's I always say sometimes in program it's like it's like playing golf. I, I gave up golf because it was too frustrating. But in, you know, like when I learned to play tennis, I just sort of get better in general. But in golf, I could hit a great shot and then go out and hit a lousy shot. And what I realized about golf is it's more about the ratio of good shots to bad shots. Well, and it's sort of the same in programs. I think growth comes from uh, the number of good. Incidences is done, you know. Uh, incidence is done well, program-wise, versus not done well, and realize that the, that not done well group is never going to totally go away, and that you're going to revert to type. And and yeah, it does ebb and flow uh, to a certain extent, and and it's hard sometimes to uh, get back in that that program thing you know and that's why I'm I'm a huge believer in that morning meditation of some kind just because this way I get going and I go okay remember what kind of life you're trying to lead it this is I'm trying to be a, 12, a good representative of a 12-step life now that's not to say something won't come and slap me in the face but I try and catch it quickly and 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 to realize you know again I'm human and I got to deal with that and in terms of how to remember that and and I think a lot of this, you know, goes back to acceptance and and how to deal with you know the the biggest thing about about dealing with these things that come up is to re, is to immediately have it pop in my head is you know am I getting what I want versus what I need am I dealing with that you know the want need situation and um in acceptance of of life on life's terms and you know and in and people, of course, you know, you can sometimes it's not circumstances, it's people, and people can be very problematic. I don't want to tell um, sure anybody listening that. And you know, one of the greatest things that helped me on that is, you know, on page four seventeen, you know, you hear that, and everybody goes, oh yeah, the acceptance paragraph, which is absolutely key to my life. But I also love the paragraph that comes right after that. Because what it says is, uh, when I when I criticize you, me or you, I'm criticizing God's handiwork. I'm saying I know better than God, meaning I got to remember whatever it is this this person's a child of God for whatever reason. Uh, this person's been put in my life. Maybe I'm supposed to learn something. And I love and I know the program's uh, the slogan's been around, but I, I remember first hearing it from Michael Kay who says, you know. Bless them, change me, you know, and to remember, you know, that, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I was saying on, on I don't know if you heard it or not, about living the serenity prayer, you know, um, the idea that, you know, accept things I can't change, courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference, of course, is the you just gotcha of all programming. And my old sponsor used to like grab the skin on the back of his hand and say, right there, kid, there's your difference. And and I went, well, what do you mean? He says, everything from the skin in, things you can change. Everything from the skin out, things you can't. And for the most part, that's true. And it's all about my reaction. And like like it said there in spiritual experience, I've undergone a, an alteration in my reaction to life. I love in another program I'm in, they say, act, don't react. And I love that. So I hope that helped.
0: Thanks, Devorah M. Julie B., your turn star one ton mute can I be heard? You can
7: hi, this is Julie B. I'm recovering in Colorado and uh i I am struggling with uh, i'm I'm kind of a blamer and uh, trying to take responsibility for things. But in my relationship with my higher power, in my relationship with the God of my understanding, I I get very much walked and stuck uh, around the suffering and struggles of my children. Um, you know, when I first entered program, God was gracious to everyone but me. Uh, and uh, then I, I learned that God can be gracious to me, but uh, when, when uh, things are difficult with my teenagers, then I really I really struggle, um, struggle with acceptance, struggle with releasing them to their high power, struggle with trusting God, just really, um, I, I, trust God I think with lots of things but not with them so uh, just uh, appreciated what you shared and be interested in what you have to say
1: oh thanks well there is a huge tough one that I, I think is a real you know it's a problem for everybody if you love somebody and you really care you want the best for them and um you know, God, I'm in another program for that kind of stuff, and uh, you know, I have to remember the the there is a God and it's not me part, and it's hard sometimes. And but part of it is also realizing I d- I don't have the big picture, I don't have the big picture that, you know, um, I can tell you having been in that other program or not that other well in AA, <laughs> I don't know, I I shouldn't have to worry about that, but that. I have counseled, I have seen people who have loved their kids to death, you know, literally tried to pull them out of every scrape. And and what ends up happening is they end up staying just uncomfortable enough to not make it because they didn't hit the bottom they needed to hit, and and that's, you know, it's hard, and it's also hard, I mean, I have to remember, I because like I said, I don't have the big picture, I play out what, where, on the path they're on, and I make the assumption I know exactly where that path is leading to, and maybe it doesn't, and, uh, and maybe it does, but I also just, again, that, you know, there's a this is a, a, a book out on the on the history of AA, and and the the title is has nothing to do. I'm not sending you to it to read about this subject, but the title is not God, and you know that's the thing I need to keep remembering uh, that I'm not God, and that, and I have limited, you know, things I can do about it. And yeah, there is another program for that kind of thing, even if it's. And I, I mean, I, I've I've recommended Al-Anon to people over. Not even a situation where the the the, the uh, loved one has a uh, any kind of a substance problem, just that these people are 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 so intermeshed that they can't figure out where they stop and their loved one starts, and to remember that you know. They have to take care of themselves. I see people who you know one of the things we do as addicts is is always constantly be looking for escape and sometimes escape is getting so focused on other people that we we sort of disappear and our problems disappear and we become totally focused on them and I think it's you know that new pair of glasses that Dr. Paul talks about keeping it try and keep it on me, and you know a like I said, you know realizing you 're not god and 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 b there's a path that has to be followed sometimes and you know, I share about the first time I heard this, this one slogan from Al-Anon, I thought it was sarcastic, and I realized, no, I don't think it's meant to be, and that is don't rob people of the dignity of making their own mistakes. And and it's it's so true. I, I always tell the story. I have, we had these neighbors who moved in next door, and on one day a week, you can't park on one side of the street, and the other, you can't park on the other. And if you do, it's 8 o'clock, boo, you get a ticket, like, immediately. And for three weeks in a row after they moved in, I, I would see this while I was walking my dog, and i go, knock on the door and tell them you know you got to move your car and they thanked me and they did and on the, like the fourth week I just said you know they're not moving their car and I left it and they got a ticket and I felt lousy about that but you know what they've never had a problem with that again <laughs> you know so I need to remember I'm not God and, and I have to realize I have such a small view compared to my higher power and maybe my view isn't right maybe things, things have to happen the way they're supposed to happen for reasons I don't understand so I hope that helps
0: Thanks, Julie B. Harlan G., your turn. Star one time <laughs> mute.
1: Thank you, Leah, and thank you, John. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. And this is not a question that I don't know the answer to. That's a terrible <laughs> sentence. This is a question I know the answer to. That's better. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to ask this question, John, because you're a humble guy who will not toot your own horn, but I want people to know this. Would you please explain some of the service that you do and how this enhances your faith and <laughs> service above the meeting level? Thank you. Thanks, Harlan. I'll get that check out to you like I promised for asking that question. Uh, no, um, I thought the question was going to be, how do you use your higher power while driving? And if anybody heard Harlan's thing? Uh, anyway, um, Well, I I think part of of this comes from uh, the gratitude that this program exists, you know, uh, and to realize – and I always share that, you know, and I shared it in the talk that uh, if these programs didn't exist, I'd have been dead for a long time, and thank God they were there. But to realize that there is no – you know, there is no um, service class in program – a program is us, A program is every one of us doing stuff, and if we don 't do it it 's not going to happen and and that part of this is giving back it 's that those great lines from uh, the end of dr Bob 's nightmare where he says, you know you know I do it you know to give back uh, to pay back the debt given to me by the person who passed it on to me and and that 's certainly the case with me and I just yeah I, I and I also like it and one of the great things about service is you know I was told I had to do it in the beginning and I was just cynical alcoholic who's like oh you guys just want free free labor and and like a lot of things in program you do them and you don't understand and they're they're faith-based in that regard and then you turn around later and see what the benefits were and the benefit of, of service was it involved sort of forcing me to get out of myself and then seeing how good i felt as a result of that you know that that doing things without expecting any compensation like, you know, the Just for Today uh, uh, reading talks about that I feel better, and and it helps me. And and I, and I don't know. I just like it. And Harlan knows I do a lot for this uh, OA birthday party, which is coming up in January. And if anybody's interested, oabirthday.com. That's the only commercial. I'll keep it short. 110 visionaries coming, 111. Um, uh I like it because and it helps people and it's it's just wonderful to see people and, and then go to some of my home meetings and hear somebody say wow, I I I was struggling and I got abstinent at the birthday party because you know there it's like an intensive, and it helped and then uh, you know helping with other meetings. Those of you who don't know, I don't know if I can make a commercial for it. We uh, we started a new AA twelve and twelve phone meeting on Tuesday nights at eight o'clock Eastern, five o'clock uh, Pacific. And if you're interested, there's two Vision for You non non uh, official Vision for You uh Big Book pages, uh uh, uh Vision pages. Uh, one is called the A V four u trudgers and it's up there as the if you're interested in the twelve and twelve meeting and uh and yeah, I just I do it because uh, I want to. you know, uh, maybe in the beginning I did it because I was told to do it by a sponsor, but that 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 went away really quickly because I saw how how good it felt and how, how much it helped my program. So thanks.
0: Thank you, Harlan. And our final question for the morning comes from Leslie W. Star one to unmute Leslie.
6: Thank you, Leah. Thank you so much for your talk this morning. Um, this is Leslie W., Recovered um, Compulsive Overeater in Tennessee. I just had a question about, um, you mentioned you know, how you work with, the, or you see and have encountered a lot of clergymen and priests and religious people who have um, who have needed to come to program in order to recover from their disease. Um, I, too, was, have been a religious person and was a religious person and did have, um, a higher power and a faith in God before I came into program, but it was necessary for me. My question is in your experience with mingling or working with these people, um, how, and how did you perceive that, that they were able to integrate back into their religious communities after program? because many people that i talk to have difficulty with that as if they feel like they're leading double lives or separate they're living in two separate worlds um, any suggestions
1: there no. well that's a good question um yeah. Uh, yeah i guess it it depends on how dogmatic the religion is and like you said i've known i always i always joke and say i know a lot more a, a priests in AA, and I know a lot more rabbis in OA, <laughs> it just seems to be the the uh, <clears throat> substance of choice. And, and yeah, and it can be hard uh, concerning the dogma. And I know a lot of people who just sort of say, um, uh, you know, I've got to take this with a grain of salt. It, it, You know, at the end of the day, some of the very little of the actual beliefs or, or things that are, or, you know, uh, passed on maybe from books and things. In uh, have anything to do with day-to-day life? Maybe some of them do, but a lot of them don't. And people are able to somehow find a way to uh, uh, to just sort of take what you want and leave the rest from some of the you know the various. Writing, since it doesn't really involve them on a day-to-day basis. In other words, you don't. At the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter if you if you don't want to believe that the Earth was five thousand years old. It's not going to affect you as a clergyman going on and doing the rest of your stuff. I I can tell you, I have a therapist, and my therapist, in addition to being a therapist, is a Presbyterian minister. and And it's good because it, I find it really helped having a. a a therapist who also didn't run away from the concept of a higher power, and we can talk about things. You know, sometimes it can be totally on that. And and, and I'm I'm I find it very interesting some days about his take on things that I pretty much are sh- uh, sure aren't the official you know program <laughs> program uh uh not prog- this program but you know the you know what is told to him in his religion and and it doesn't it you know he seems to have been able to come to some kind of peace with it and and um and uh you know may, uh, maybe i don't know it it's a hard question if if you know especially if you're in one of the more really rigid things of how do you how do you um make those those work. And yet there are people, people I have a lot of respect for, who are in, uh, you know, maybe um, a stronger version of my religion, and and they seem to be able to do it. And And so at the end of the day, I mean, one of the best things you can do is to find people like that and ask them because, you know, they've been able to come to terms with it, you know. There may not be six hundred and thirteen commandments in the big book, but people who believe in that have seemed to be able to to make make those two things congruent, so I hope that helps. Thank
6: you.
0: Thank you, Leslie, for the question. Thanks to everybody who posed questions this morning and of course, thank you, John, for such a insightful, thoughtful, warm presentation this morning. Hmm. Beautiful, thank you. Sure. Cure ID for today, 10748. That's 10,748. And let's close from page 164. In the chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us.